those. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello, hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. And it's four o'clock approximately and we'll be taking you through until five o'clock this evening. Just to um, repeat that, I believe that we had some technical difficulties there. Um, this is the Doing Time Show and streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. And we'll be t- taking you through until five this evening. This is Marissa and there's Rob there as well. Hi, this is Rob. And he's been doing some work with us for the Doing Time Show um, off and on when he can. First up on the show, we're going to be speaking with Cameron Lavery, and he's from uh, Justice Connect. Cameron has been doing some wonderful work in relation to homelessness and justice issues in Victoria's first ever parliamentary inquiry. And we'll have um, Cameron on presently. I believe that he's the principal solicitor uh, at Homeless Law Service. And I'll get him. I'll have him clarify that in a second. After that, we're going to be speaking with Uncle Jack, who's the most amazing Aboriginal activist. And Uncle Jack is um, residing in Victoria, and we're going to be speak to, speaking to him about an award that he won in relation to some work that he's done with prisons and other other um, arenas. And then after that, we're going to be speaking to Alita, an Aboriginal woman from New South Wales. And she's going to be talking to us about Aboriginal deaths in custody and also about um, Transgender Remembrance Day. Hello, Cameron. Welcome to the program. Hello, Cameron. Hi. Sorry about that, Marissa. I had a little bit of a glitch with my phone. Hi. Thank you for having me. No, it's lovely to have you indeed. It's, it's, um, it's so good that you could come on. Now, Cameron, I'm just wondering if you could just introduce yourself first and tell us a bit about your your title, about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, as you said, I'm the Principal Solicitor of Justice Connect's Homeless Law Service. Um, And Homeless Law was created in 2001 by Justice Connect and we're Victoria's specialist community legal service for people experiencing or at risk of homelessness. And what we do is we we have an integrated service delivery model. So we provide ongoing and targeted legal help, social work support and human rights advocacy to homeless or at-risk Victorians. Um, And I think probably importantly for today, we also have a specialist project for Victorians in prison, which is called Closing the Revolving Door. And that project is all about breaking the cycle between prison and homelessness through intensive legal representation and we work closely with housing and other pre- and post-release support providers to achieve that. So that's a bit of, a, I guess, background to the work that we do. Fantastic. And I believe that um, you and Samantha, who's also from Justice Connect, have been providing evidence in um, the parliamentary inquiry. Is that right? 
Yeah, that's right. So Samantha and I went along to Friday's first public hearing of the parliamentary inquiry into homelessness, and we really valued the chance to be the justice voice at the at the first hearing. So um, we shared some evidence from our casework and some client insights, and and as you mentioned, I think touching we've really focused on how to break the links between homelessness and the justice system, and um, touched on a few key points around prevention and housing supply and turning towards holistic service-based responses rather than criminalisation. So they were our main focuses. Can you talk about that? Can you, also, can you talk about the, the criminalisation aspect and, and what can happen, how, how that can, can actually cause homelessness and what can be done to improve it? Absolutely. So I guess what we've seen from, through almost 20 years of service just makes it that much more likely that you're going to get fines and charges that are directly related to your circumstances and and that we've also seen that enforcement-based approaches to homelessness and poverty don't work. Um, what happens is that people are getting fines and charges that effectively, we say criminalisation because they effectively criminalise social and health issues and they keep people in homelessness and they create barriers to people exiting into housing and they stretch the already thin justice system's resources. So the idea is that um, we really need to stop criminalisation and we need to go towards holistic and service-based responses. Um, And I guess it's a really, you know, a really important thing to say there is that since we started back in 2001, homeless law has... One of the major issues we've helped with is something we call public space fines. So... um, things like being drunk in public, begging and conduct on public transport, those kinds of fines continue to be a major issue for our clients and um, we know that our clients also are facing personal and financial challenges that make it impossible for them to address their fines and charges without integrated legal help. Um, and what we're trying to do is, through our lawyers and our social workers, help help our clients to exit out, um, hopefully not get the fines and charges in the first place, but if they are entering the criminal justice and helping them to exit out as soon as possible. And what was it like in Parliament giving all that evidence? What, what was the response like? Yeah, that's a good question. So it was, um, I think we, we received a pretty uh, a welcome response. I feel like the, the, the people, that the parliamentarians who um, were on the committee asked us some um, questions and they were seemed engaged. And what we really wanted to do was just put a voice forward for the people that we support every day. So... Um, I feel like we covered the key aspects of of we, what we were hoping to and, as I mentioned, around <clears throat> prevention and early intervention and, and making evictions into homelessness a last resort. We also talked about the need for more public and community housing with support and we talked about um, reducing the criminalisation of homelessness and hopefully stopping it um, altogether. So I feel like we covered the key, key round we wanted to and we really got across... Um, the evidence of our of our casework and the voices of our clients, hopefully. So, that's fantastic. And well, let's see if the government acts upon it. That's right. And and one thing I would say there is that um, it's it's because it was the first hearing. We're going to get a chance to do a written submission as well, so it'll be much more detailed. And um, that's going to be in January. So there's still very much a chance for people to have their say in the inquiry and. Um, the terms of reference of the inquiry are quite broad, so it's a good chance for essentially suggestions to help end homelessness in, in, a, in a summary, but um, it's a good chance for all community members to, to be involved and, um, you know, we're really coming forward with that 
integrated legal service perspective and, and the work that we do through the justice system. But we're working really closely with the homelessness sector and, and the broader community service sector as well to make sure that all the voices are being heard. So I think it's a, a good platform, hopefully, for, for some um, systemic change. So just to draw attention to the media release for listeners, so basically people experiencing homelessness are at particular risk of being caught in the justice system because they are often forced to live their private lives in public places. Can you talk about that and also highlight some of the things that um, Samantha um, mentioned in her presentation? To I couldn't hear you there, Marissa. I'm not sure if you can still hear me. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, in mobile phones, the beauty of mobile phones, huh? Can you hear me? You there, Cameron? Oh. Are you still there, Cameron? Hello? Uh, Marissa, I'm yes. not sure if you're there. Cameron, can you, you hear me now? I might um, hang up and, and try you again. Yeah, that might be best. Yeah, we'll see if we can do that. Oh, you're welcome to call me. <laughs> okay. And that's um, Cameron Lavery. And we were just doing a great interview um, on homelessness and the justice system. We'll see what can be done. Six years I've been in desert. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things unfold. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know, it's been going for a while now. Hopefully it goes, it keeps going, you know, like it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there. As prisoners, we can't blame everything on the external. So let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor, because real power comes from here, and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 And you're back with the Doing Time show. And I'm hoping we have Cameron back on the line. Hi, Marissa. Sorry about that. I'm, I yeah, <laughs> it must have been something to do with reception, phone reception. Yeah, no, yeah. Not good. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Well, it's approximately... <laughs> that's all right. It's approximately 4.11. And in case listeners have just tuned in, you're listening to the Doing Time show. And we're speaking with Kevin Lavery from Justice Connect and Homeless Law, and he's the principal solicitor. And we also have Rob joining us in the studio as well. Now... You know, where were we? We were we were talking about um, homelessness, and I was just asking you the question when we dropped out um, about the the connection between um, the justice system and incarceration and homelessness. And I was going to ask you to talk about um, Samantha's presentation in Parliament as well. Yeah, absolutely, Marissa. I'm happy to do that. Sure. Um, 
And, so and also we, your contribution. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. It was it was Sam that um, focused on this part of, of our presentation. So um, I guess what we'd say is that uh, the, the starting point for us in terms of improving justice system outcomes for people experiencing homelessness is that we need to reduce the reliance on enforcement-based approaches to homelessness and poverty. So um, we had a few suggestions at the hearing um, that to do that, and I don't know if it's if it's useful to touch on those now. But that's right. Um, yeah. So we we suggested that the that the state government's move to decriminalise public drunkenness was a positive positive one, and to replace it with a public health response. And we want to we suggested using that as an opportunity to go for, further and decriminalise begging. So we see a lot of these, um, you know poverty-related offences on the books, when they're there, it's a, a risk that they'll be used and in used in a way that disproportionately impacts on people experiencing homelessness. So that was one of our suggestions we made. Um, we also talked about the idea of uh, police and enforcement officers being used as first responders more and more to homelessness and that moving away towards a service-based response and something called a protocol for people experiencing homelessness, like the one that was used during the Commonwealth Games, is, is the way to go, and we're going to talk more about that in our written submission that we make to the inquiry. Um, and we also talked about the fine system and, and the fact that there were a lot of positive initiatives put forward through the fines reform process recently, but um, every day Justice Connect clients are still facing crippling uncertainty about their fines because the system's just not working in practice. Um, and we talked about the fact that we want to see the special circumstances listed at the Melbourne Magistrates Court continue so people can get therapeutic outcomes with their fines and they can exit this, the system. Um, and then I guess back to more specifically around the breaking the cycle between homelessness and prison, which is a big focus for us as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, we know that people who've experienced homelessness um, are more likely to interact with the justice system and they're more likely to have ongoing um, reoccurring interactions Um, and we talk about housing being a critical factor in in breaking that cycle so I'm sure you're well aware that um, the recent Australian Housing and Urban Research Institute report on the health of Australian prisoners found that nearly one in three people entering prison were experiencing homelessness Um, and it's incredibly disproportionate to the amount of people experiencing homelessness who it's uh, that disproportionality reflects how many people are also experiencing interactions with the justice system um, and that there's a couple of key points there. One is that Victoria's current bail laws are having an unintended and disproportionate impact on people experiencing at risk of homelessness. So our remand population continues to grow um, and that we see that police are more likely to place a person experiencing homelessness on bail, even for minor offences. So we need to see reforms in that space. Um we also talked a little bit at the inquiry about um, preventing homelessness for people exiting prisons. So um, the overrepresentation of people experiencing homelessness going in, into prison, more than half also expect to be exiting prison into homelessness. Um, and through homeless laws, through our work directly, we, we have a specialist focus on um, providing prisoners with tailored legal help and post-release support so that they can access housing on release. We focus on preventing evictions if people are on short sentences and remand, and we also focused on removing legal barriers to housing, so things like fines and housing debts and things like that. Um, and so we talked about the need to invest in pre- and post-release housing and other support and also integrated legal services to help 
help people in prison um, get the best chance at community reintegration. The um, system is broken, really, isn't it? And there, yeah, there's, there yeah. simply isn't enough investment with the government. And I, I think, uh, you know, the, the the poisonous policies of the federal government has certainly impacted on all states. Mm, and we, we see that very, very much so at Justice Connect in terms of, I mentioned it at the start, but the idea of housing supply. So there's just not enough public and community housing with specialised support for vulnerable Victorians and um, that's the same whether you're you're um, exiting prison and hoping to, to either keep or, or access a new property or if you're in the community and you may be exiting homelessness and trying to find some stability, um, we know what a difference it makes um, throughout for our clients to have community or public housing and with, with that kind of holistic support available. And in the inquiry, we actually called for... Um, 6,000 new public and community housing properties to be built each year for the next decade um, to just to meet demands. So um, it's, it's a real priority for us and for the, the homelessness and housing sectors that, that that supply issue, that really systems level issue gets addressed. Yeah. Um, also, I've noticed that... Um, yeah. Uh, uh, can you hear me? Marisa? I, I can. Oh, yes. It's a little bit soft, but yeah. Yeah, just speak yeah. up. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I noticed that uh, since the since the current government is government has cut um, cut back on on the budget in regards to services, there has been an increase of uh, homelessness, and I think you think that's been a contributing factor to that as well. Yeah, so I guess what we would say as part of you know a part of the homelessness sector, obviously we're the legal legal service side, but um, we know that every day people there just aren't enough resources at the frontline homelessness agencies and. Um, that the fact that people are being turned away from those services is just really about the resourcing and um, there's not enough at Absolutely. the moment. And it's the idea that, um, you know, to help people exit out of homelessness and, and stay stay out of it, we really need that front line to be resourced. And what we do at, through our homeless law services, we provide that legal dimension. So we have our legal services at those agencies um, helping people sort out their legal hassles and that, so they can focus on what's important, so their health and, and their personal needs and their um, their other well-being. So that's a really, really important point that we need to resource the homelessness sector directly um, Absolutely. so they can do, do that amazing work. <laughs> and, and, of course, our Indigenous brothers and sisters um, suffer a great deal too. You, you mentioned the public drunkenness um, issue, mm. and which needs to be a health issue. And, you know, I suppose that would also cover, um, you know, deaths in custody as well. Yeah, um, I understand that recently, though, that they were removing that law. Yes, they're not yet, Robert. No. Yeah. That's right, yeah. So they, they are, and, and we really oh, welcome are? that change. Okay. They're going to be. They haven't done it. You're right, exactly. Um, Thank you. I yeah. guess what, what we would say is that it's there's still other offences like begging on the books that that do in, disproportionately impact people experiencing homelessness, and, and we really welcome the change with public drunkenness, but we really say that... You know, there's more changes still needed to, to see the overall benefits and to make sure people experiencing homelessness aren't getting fines or charges in the first place for things that, that are directly related to their circumstances. So you mentioned it, Marissa, that idea of when you're living your private life in the public eye, you know, you, you or I, you know, might have the luxury to have a drink in our home, but if you do that in, and you don't have anywhere um, yeah. safe to sleep, you're actually likely to get fined or charged, which really... You know, it isn't fair, and, and that's why we say get rid of those 
get rid of those outdated laws or change them so that they're more balanced um, at the very least. And, you know, in Tasmania at the moment, they're decriminalising begging. So we see that the time is right now through this inquiry to raise that again and, and say that this could make a big difference for the most vulnerable in our community. So let's get behind it and, um, you know, see some of those changes to to away from enforcement towards service-based responses. Yeah, and also that since they're going to stop decriminalizing um, um, public drunkenness, what kind of uh, programs are they going to have in its place? And how is that going to marriage in regards to how we can improve the situation now with homelessness getting out of jail and staying out and preventing them from getting in? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think that we're still waiting to see the details, at least through Justice Connect, of of the health-based response that the government's proposing in, instead of the public drunkenness um, offence, which we really welcome the idea of, I understand it's meant to be a culturally appropriate um, health-based response. So oh, good. very supportive of that and really interested to see the details. And as you said, Rob, I think that what we would say is that those kinds of approaches are what we need across the board. So post-release is such a key gap at the moment in terms of, say, legal legal services targeting that area. So we're working more and more in that space through through our prison project. But um, I think that we see that all the great providers that are, that are in that space, they need to be supported and resourced, all the non-legal service providers that are already doing the post-release work. Absolutely. Um, need yeah. to be supported. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I grew up in America, and in America you have a right to representation if you like, and if you can't afford one, one will be appointed to you. Unfortunately, that service ain't ain't here in within Australia, so it's definitely going to be difficult to try to get in touch with those who do need help. Absolutely. And Indeed. it's interesting. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry, Rob, you and Marissa. It was, we actually um, talk a lot about the... Uh, the idea of the importance of legal representation in preventing homelessness. So through our prison project and through our specialist project for women, we, we focus in on um, providing ongoing legal representation and social work help to, to prevent evictions into homelessness and to make evictions into homelessness the last resort. And it goes to that right to representation model in America where, you know, in New York now they have um, tenant, tenant, tenants have the right to legal representation and the, the rate of eviction prevention has just gone gone so so through the roof, I guess, um, and we just know it makes a big difference. We raised that at the inquiry too, that idea of taking getting integrated legal services in in the mix to stop evictions into homelessness, and and that's particularly the case if someone's in prison on, on a short sentence or remand, because we know that they have such a better chance chance of reintegration and stability if they can exit prison in, into housing. Um, Without that break, um, it just makes a huge difference. So absolutely, yeah. we've. Sorry, Rob, we're going to have to wrap up now because we've got Uncle Jack coming. But was there one a final comment you wanted to make, Rob uh, or Cameron? Yeah, actually, um, I have a lot more I could say on this regard. We'll have to have him back there, at some stage. We'll have yeah, to have please do. <laughs> yeah, that'd absolutely. be great. Cameron, um, thank you so much for coming onto the program. It was it was lovely to have you. Sorry about that little hitch there, <laughs> and. No and, and I'm hoping we can have a chat to you um, maybe in the next month or next year, actually, um, after summer program, we can have you and Sam together, perhaps on a conference call. Yeah, we, that'd be great. We'd really like the opportunity to come back. And as I said, we're doing a, a written submission to the inquiry, so we can give you some more details then and, and um, keep the conversation going. That'd be great. Lovely. Thank you so much, Cameron, and we'll let you know when our podcast is available as well. Thanks so much. Great. Thank, Thank you. Thanks, Marissa and Rob. Thanks. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye-bye.
And that was Cameron Lavery, who is the principal solicitor at uh, Justice Connect, a homeless law service. And he was talking about incarceration and the links between incarceration and homelessness. Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counselling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between queer Space, Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information, visit withrespect.org.au or call 1800 542 847. With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help, call 000. A 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time Show, and I'm hoping Uncle Jack is still there. Hello, Uncle. I'm still here. Thank you. Uncles, thank you so much for, for coming onto the show. Um, uh, listeners may be aware, may remember um, Uncle Jack, who has been um, doing a lot of work with prisons. Can you tell us what you've been doing lately and, and a lot of acting stuff and films and everything, and you've just won an award. Can you, can you tell us what's been going on, Uncle? All right. Okay. Well, um, to kick it off, I um, I did win the, uh, the male recipient uh, this year's... Uh, a Red Oak Lifetime Achievement Award from uh, the APSI Board of the Arts Council of Australia, the uh, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander Board of uh, of uh, the uh, Arts Council, and um, and so it was, uh, you know, an honour, and uh, you know, uh, um, um, an acknowledgement of um, what I've done for the APSI Board of the Arts Council of Australia. Um, I do remember a couple of years ago when they, that mob asked me to prove my Aboriginality. It was in the news and all that kind of shit, you know. Yeah. And um, uh, and uh, I thought, well, hang on, now that they've asked me, uh, here's an opportunity for me to uh, take them to task. To, um, to, um, Why did they do that? Um, I was seeking $50,000 for a coffee table picture book Okay. Neil Thornton, Wilson, and myself wanted to produce, okay. and um, and so um, so I was in the second week of rehearsing for Kate Grenville's Secret River at Sydney Theatre Company at the time, and so um, uh, by the end of the second, uh, by the start of the second week, I had decided to uh, uh, pull up stakes out of Sydney and come back down to Melbourne to uh, uh, hook up with a legal Fitzroy legal. Service and uh, start challenging uh, Arts Council of Australia, the ASCII board. I mean, to uh, to um, get them to desist from asking um, people uh, to uh, prove their Aboriginality if we're seeking dedicated Aboriginal arts funding. So um, I took my leave from Sydney Theatre Company, Kate Grimble's Secret River production, and uh, I remember Kate Kate uh, Blanchard coming down and whispering in my ear. He said, Uncle Jack, the Sydney Theatre Company and I totally support your stance because it's about time and thank you very much for pulling out and plenty of time for us to get another person. So um, uh, it worked well for me. So I came down to Melbourne, hooked up with free legal service um, and um, uh, um, we um, 
we we uh, got the Ron Merkel, a local QC bloke, and um, and um, a human rights law firm, and um, we uh, we we challenged the ATSI board of the Arts Council of Australia. Uh, nobody had ever run a case like this before, and so um, uh, I uh, was able to uh, direct them how to go about doing it. The basic concept is that we needed to understand uh, what's happening here. You know, I've been hearing, you know, so many people, people's dreams in the arts, uh, uh, desert, uh, desert uh, artists, um, song men and women, uh, playwrights, uh, actors, and etc. have been confounded with this insidious policy of, of Aboriginality. So um, uh, I said uh, I needed to uh, get the numbers of how many white people claiming to be Aboriginal that have access to ATSI Board of the Arts Council, claiming to be Aboriginal and seeking dedicated Aboriginal arts funding. And if they were found wanting, not Aboriginal, were they charged with fraud and perjury? Uh, so it's a simple uh, request. Uh, so if the numbers came back uh, a couple of weeks later and said, yes, Uncle, over the past 32 years, there were two. What? Only two? Hmm. <laughs> well, that sounds odd. So what happened? Well, we did charge him with fraud and perjury, but we lost the cases. I said, oh, yeah, pray tell what happened. And they said, well, um, it was found eventually that they were Aboriginal. And who were they? Colin Johnson was one. What, the bloke who wrote Wildcat Falling from oh. Perth? You know, and uh, who was the other one? Archie Weller, what? The bloke who wrote uh, uh, the book uh, uh, Every Dog Has Its Day and it turned into a movie and I was in the movie, Blackfellas, we called it oh, Blackfellas when the Yanks bought it. And so, uh, so what happened? Uh, he says, well, we had to pay them some money for that, you know, compensation. I said, uh, so you're telling me that there are no white people accessing the uh, Arts Council of Australia, the ATSI board of the Arts Council of Australia, claiming to be Aboriginal when they're not? And uh, he said, well, look, I know for a fact that people in the arts, white people in the arts, wouldn't have the temerity, the cheat, the gumption, claim Aboriginal when they're not getting uh, Aboriginal funding. They just have to go to the Ordinary Arts Council and, you know... Yeah, look, have, at the, it, it's, it's all about, isn't it, um, money and, and colonisation, jumping through hoops. Now, Uncle Jack, no, I, I just... No, 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 yeah. the, the point was... What is... Really yeah. That, uh, the point was that you have to desist from yes. uh, racially vilifying our own people. Correct. Racially vilifying our own people by asking us to prove Aboriginality. When yeah. they asked me, I felt as though I should uh, retire from the field and, uh, you know, and and work a little bit more harder for prisons, prisoners and et cetera in Victoria. It's demoralising. Uh, 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 it is demoralising. I was very despondent there for some time. But not but, now. Uh, Ron Merkel said, no, no, Jack, uh, you know, we get them to... Uh, uh, to stop asking people to prove their Aboriginality, you have a, you're standing on solid ground, and so it, it eventuated that uh, within eight months they pulled that part of the policy. Now, I had to educate them that the future generations aren't, you know, they'll be red hair, hazel-eyed, blonde hair, blue-eyed, but nonetheless, right. they're holding tenaciously on with fingertip grip onto their indigeneity, and you cannot dra- dash their dreams and hopes. So they pulled that part of the policy now. So. If you're seeking dedicated Aboriginal arts policy nowadays, you do not have to prove it. The point of fact is here you, that they have to trust us. 
no sane white person in Australia would ever want to be Aboriginal in the first place. <laughs> Correct. That was a winning argument. <laughs> I love it. Been, that's what I've done, and I've been building on that one ever since. I've been uh, busy writing my book uh, for the last 18 months. I've just launched it uh, uh, a, couple, uh, a couple of months ago, uh, last month. So uh, I've been touring, touring along the East Coast from uh, Noosa, uh, Byron Bay Writers Festival. Do you have um, the details of the, the the ISBN number of the book so people can buy that, Jack? Uh, well, uh, you can go to Dimmitz or uh, Reading's Bookstore, and it's called Jack Charles, a Born Again Blackfella. Uh, it's selling well. Uh, I've done the library talks in New South Wales and down here in Melbourne, and uh, it's uh, it put bums on seats at the libraries. I get unleashed for a quarter, you know, for uh, forty five minutes to talk about the book and. Uh, and the fact that uh, once I had jumped off the uh, methadone, the drugs and et cetera, I was totally rewired that I could uh, recall a lot of things and uh, and put them down into a book. So there's Absolutely. an audio book coming out shortly too. Audio? Audio, yes, yes. Fantastic. Book. Now, um, I just wanted to kind of um, extend your time a little bit more on air. Rob, I'm wondering if you could step out and, and let... Uh, let our next guests know that um, it will be about five minutes late. Could you let them know at reception? Uh, yes, I will. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, so Uncle Jack, you've been in prison, as, as you know, as we know, um, and you've done a lot, and, and I believe, like, you've been doing some workshops. Uh, well, not so much workshops. I've been going in as a right old geek to see what's happening, yep. what's in the life of the land in prison, full on prison. Um, you know, at NAIDOC week up at, uh, there at, uh, at the um, um, uh, at Port Phillip prison. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, so uh, uh, it was great uh, to be invited uh, there. But um, I, I work with the Archie Road Foundation too now. I'm a board member. And Archie and I decided this year that we wouldn't go into uh, both Parkville and Tirana this year because we found uh, uh, that... Um, once the um, uh, Department of Human Services was uh, expelled from the uh, uh, our youth detention centres and Office of Corrections came in, uh, that uh, we felt a very distinct uh, separation of uh, love for us. We didn't feel as, as though we were uh, welcomed into those uh, two youth detention centres. So uh, we had said uh, that uh, I said to the board, I said to Archie, let's hang on until this... Um, the Snackerata with Daniel Andrews, this tricky that we've got underway, uh, comes into uh, focus also uh, next year. And then we'll call a roundtable conference with all the stakeholders and uh, we're going to push for our uh, obligatory right of passage back into uh, youth detention centres and adult prisons. Uh, elders should uh, be seen as on a regular basis, on a roster basis, uh, uh, you know, enhancing the... Uh, uh, the work that the liaison people already working in there, the liaison people working in those prisons, youth detention centres and etc. Uh, we feel that uh, uh, we we have got something to uh, to offer these uh, uh, unfortunate souls in our prison system, uh, men and women, boys and girls, and uh, we can't get anywhere until we've had this macerata, this treaty, I believe. Um, we have to, you know, we want to follow the Canadian system. That's you know, right. Uh, you know they uh, they had their uh, uh, 
their treaty. They changed their constitution over 200 years ago to fit in with their treaty. And amongst the main list of demands in their treaty was that every uh, institution that incarcerates or houses their uh, First Nations people has to have local uh, chiefs living nearby, uh, the equivalent of our elders, rostered to go in there on a regular daily basis. And that's been happening. They've also set up community hubs, you know, centres. Community hubs, you know, oh, yeah. Yep. Yes, yes. In, uh, you know, Beavers Creek has got a few, a couple. It's a big province, Beavers Creek. I went over there and checked it out for myself in Toronto, just outside Toronto, Beavers Creek uh, province, and I wanted to know uh, and experience for myself. I visited the jail, and that was overseen by a father and son team. They were keeping the languages alive, keeping the connection with um, with um, lost and hidden identities uh, and tribes uh, uh, to their um, char- charges behind bars there. And um, they gave us a wonderful welcome to the country on a big, humongous drum. So we're going to find out, uh, you know, fire up the uh, sweat lodge in the back every jail. In Canada? As a sweat lodge. Uh, this was in uh, Canada, Uncle Jack? In Canada, yeah. In right. Yeah. Yes, but I, I didn't go through that process because... Uh, I think uh, my lungs wouldn't be able to have copped that. Yeah. So, 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 but anyway, um, I, I asked one of them, and that, uh, one of their chiefs, and they said, the, the chief that was overseeing the community centre, he said, yes, well, we changed that constitution, Jack, over uh, 200 years ago to fit in with their treaty. And, we need um, to do that in Australia. We've got, we've got to get with the program. Well, that was uh, doing that. And that. So Australia still isn't ready to uh, to uh, uh, to come to grips with its indigenous population to make uh, uh, definite policies etc. Uh, but uh, we in Victoria we've got a head start with uh, Daniel Andrews uh, you know coming to the table and wanting us to come to the table with a special group of people uh, under a treaty and then we can bash out some of the, uh, the problems that have been afflicting us. I must say that uh, in regard to that legal law eight drinking on the streets. Uh, we've had two meetings so far here at Yarra Council Chambers and also Fitzroy uh, Town Hall recently. And um, Teddy Chessels uh, gave a wonderful, uh, you know, heads up on uh, on exactly what's happening on the streets. Uh, people that are really causing problems on the streets are those on ice, really. And uh, I see little evidence of anybody... Uh, well, there's a few, but uh, uh, it, you, can't, you count them on the one hand. Uh, you know, uh, people drinking on the streets. There are more white people drinking on the streets than uh, uh, Aboriginal people drinking on the streets. Yeah, and I mean, it should be... We were just talking about it, actually, with Cameron. I don't know if you heard about... I noticed that. I heard that. Yeah, with the public health, you yeah, know, being, it being a public health yeah. issue. Yeah, Yeah, and Teddy did say that uh, even the police uh, from Richmond and also from... Um, uh, Collingwood, uh, Fitzroy, uh, were unable to give the numbers. They hadn't, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, locked in any numbers that have been uh, picked up for dr- public drunkenness or drinking on the streets. There were no numbers. And if you got no numbers, then to, for us, you know, the ordinary day blow, it, it doesn't seem to be worth the, the, their efforts and that. And we feel that um, they're going a little bit too hard. Absolutely. Now, Uncle, we're going to have to... We're going to have to wrap it up there because we're, we're running late for our next interview. But we really wanted you to come on. Um, and I'm hoping, I want to speak to you off air actually about maybe your book, 
becoming an e-book um, for vision blind and vision impaired people. Well, uh, I've got that. I've, got, I've been uh, recording it, so uh, that's why I recorded it for the uh, fantastic, for the, fantastic. So the mob over at Too Young there too. Oh. Uh, so. So uh, I'll, I'll be writing down there and checking them out. I've got, I've got a week up my sleeve before I go into the uh, You know what, Uncle Jack, can I give you some advice? Tell tell Vision Australia to yeah. get with the program and uh, get a Braille copy of your book because not because okay. they shouldn't just be, just be putting it on audio. Okay, I'll get on to them, okay? Yeah? <laughs> Thank you, All right, Uncle Jack. And I'll tell them you sent me. Absolutely, absolutely. They love me. Bless you. Take care, mate. Bye. Take care. Take Bye-bye. care, Uncle Jack. Bye-bye. 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 And that was Uncle Jack, who's an amazing Aboriginal musician, activist, um, and as he said, he's a born-again black fella. He's written an amazing book. Go check it out. And I'm going to actually put a cart on an announcement on about Disability Day and hopefully Alita has been patient. She's going to be our next guest. She's an Aboriginal um, activist from New South Wales. We're going to be talking with to her. Yeah, and I'm definitely going to have to say that, you know, it's kind of a grey area there for Aborigines when they're on their own land. How can they be drinking in public if they're home? <laughs> That's exactly. Plus, not only that, it's a sad joke, but being, you know, I mean, being Aboriginal, you can drive anyone to drink. <laughs> but, but it's the ones that are sober you got to watch out for. That's right. Okay. Tune in to Power from the Margins, 3CR's broadcast for International Day of People with Disability on 3rd of December. From 7am to 7pm, we'll feature BIPOC perspectives, live music, artists and discussions. For details, visit 3cr.org.au forward slash Disability Day 2019. And next up, we've got Alita, who's going to be talking about Aboriginal deaths in custody, and she's also going to speak about how she um, got a rally organised for Transgender Remembrance Day. Hello, Alita. Welcome to the program. Hi, Annie. How are you? Good. You're on air. You're on air, Alita. And and we're just going to alert listeners to the fact that, um, you know, there may be some Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that come up that have died, and also there may be a little bit of a language warning. So if you don't like it, turn your radios down. Hey, this is Rob. Turn them off. And, and Rob's here too, joining us, who's also done some work with us. Alita, can you start off by telling us what land you're from? Yes, I'm a Warramai Bureaupai Dungbadi Wiradjuri woman, and my people come from Tari, Karua, Kaura, and Kemsi. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. So, Alita, can you just tell us, because um, we were talking off air about um, the fact we were t- you wanted to talk about Veronica Baxter. Can you tell us a little bit about her? I believe you were in, incarcerated at the same time that she had died. Is that right? Yeah, um, Veronica Baxter was like a sister to me. Um, to me, Veronica Baxter was Paris. Um, back then... Um, in the system, I was put in jail with Veronica and I was put in the cell next to her. And that was at MSSE Sydney Metropolitan Remand Centre. And that was in Sydney, that's near the Silverwater Woman's Jail. So they sent us to a man's jail. So you, um, you and Veronica transgender. are transgender? Yes, we are. Yep, go on. 
We're both transgendered Indigenous sister girls and we were both proud of it. Yep. So they put us in a men's jail, um, which is very unsafe to do back in the 90s um, to us girls. But what had happened as a result, they come to my show one day, the night before, you know, we'd always say to each other, I love you, Susie, yeah, good night, babe, love you too, bub. We'd have a little chuckle and go to bed. Um, the next morning of that night, they come to my cell and they were standing at the front of my cell. Their cell there would have been about five screws or six screws and they had a sheet in their hands. And they put the sheet over my head and told me that something really bad had happened, that I have to walk past Paris' cell and don't look, basically. Um, so... We walked past Harris's cell and things got the better of me and I took the sheet off and see my sister tied to the end of the bed with no clothes and all she had on was underwear. That's horrible. So that's what I do now. Since then, I haven't seen a jail cell since, 2000, um, since 2003. Um, I'm, I'm a trans activist now. I'm Aboriginal Black Chess in Custody Activist, Aboriginal Activist. I also believe in our children, so I stand up for our black children's rights and what they're going through also in, in a nation that just doesn't give a fuck anymore. That's right. So tell us, what, what do you think about the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody? The recommendations haven't been upheld. Well, I, I honestly, they're just diddling us around because they, they know that with all that, that there's too much. Too much for them to handle. There's going to be way for them too much to handle. I'm going to be claiming. I'm going to be going and talking. I'm going to be moving some things to help get some rights, some rewrite some wrongs and make it right. Absolutely. And it's interesting because I don't know if you – do you remember Uncle Ray Jackson who passed away a couple of years ago? Yes, I do. He he was actually, as you know, a very strong advocate for deaths in custody. Very and. He's very strong. Very strong. And Uncle did a lot of work um, for Paris or, or Veronica Baxter to to hear her voice, get her voice heard. And one of the things... Oh, you're giving me goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, it's, so am I, actually. And one of the things that came up in the commission and that he really drew attention to was that, um, you know, there should not be any hanging points in cells. No, there should not be. Now, she was tied to the end of the bed. I have tried to do that myself. I'm sorry, but I'm going to be raw now. That's okay. I, I, I have... I actually went back to jail so I could re-roll it to see if I could tie myself to the end of the bed. It's not possible for anyone to tie themselves to the end of no fucking bed. That's right. Sorry, not how low that bed was to begin with. It's a little steel frame. How could Veronica tie herself to the end of that bed? You tell me, sister. I know. You tell me. Because uh, yeah. they fucking walked in there and they took her out. That's what they fucking done. Yeah. And we, and we fucking know that. I don't sugarcoat shit. I'm no. fucking straight out. They walked straight in there and they took my sister's life. Yeah. And what about Mr Walker? Well, they've got a lot to answer to, these white mongrels. We've got to be very careful, though, because it's under investigation, so we can't yes, say all, too much. All I'm going to say about that is they've got a lot to answer to. Yeah. They Mr Walker in the Northern to- Territory. And, yes, uh, and then have Auntie, lot to answer to. And Auntie Tanya Day, we actually the Doing Time show actually went to her coronial inquest and covered that for radio. You, you would have heard about Auntie Tanya. 
Yeah. From Victoria. Yeah, yeah. She fell asleep on yeah. a train in Castlemaine. On... Yeah, and you would have heard about young TJ. TJ Hickey, yes. Yes, and... that was impaled on a fence in Redfern. Yeah. You know, that's the police for you. If it's not the screws taking us out, it's the police. Or the health system. The police system. know what they're doing. Yeah. But it's all covered up and put under blankets. Sweep that under the carpet, that's a black one. That's exactly right. And that's exactly how it fucking is, sister. Can you have black carpet, do you think? Hey? I wonder if you can have black carpet. Yeah, we got black <laughs> carpet. Don't you worry, darling. They sweep us under that black carpet. Don't that's you it. worry. No, it's true. All jokes aside, um, apparently you were you ran a a, tra- a rally for Transgender Remembrance Day. Can you tell yes. us about that? Yeah, I did. So um, last Friday, I ran a rally to stop transgender murders, to stop blood shedding on my ancestors' streets, to stop killing our girls on my ancestors' streets. Three hundred and sixty-two transgender deaths globally, to twenty-two here in Australia. Absolutely. Now, 85% is up with transgendered Indigenous sister girls to white men's 45% in their transgendered culture. How sickening is that? A sister is killed or taken out each day or she takes her life because she can't take it anymore. She can't take the hate crimes. She can't take being pushed and poked at anymore. You're a man. No, sorry. Get fucked. We ain't no man. We are someone's auntie, we are someone's daughter, we are someone's sister, someone's granddaughter, and we are fucking love, so you respect that. So how was the rally? The rally was fantastic. We marched up and down Lismore. Um, Trans Lives Matter, stop killing us. Trans Lives Matter, stop killing us. It was an amazing turnout. Um, It was the first um, trans rally in Lismore ever and the first trans march in Lismore ever too and it was it was led by a black trans woman fantastic and getting that's really I really wanted wanted you to say that on radio I thought I thought it was really important that that you talk about that now with the deaths in custody um Alita what are the thing what's the thing that really stands out for you um more cultural training in jails more cultural training with the police put action plans in place with the police and with the jails. Um, They need to be more, like I said, they need to be more culturally trained because we're putting our boys and our women in that system that are coming from uh, rural communities, but they're very traditional people and and the main traditional people too, and they're locking them up. Yeah, but you know, um, shouldn't we also have more Aboriginal r- representation as well? Yes, we should have more Aboriginal representation. My fight with that is that there, if I could fight for this, and I and I would, I'd go in back for an Indigenous prison run by Indigenous guards. Wow, okay. Run by Indigenous guards to keep our families safe while they're in the system. A farm, an old farm, purchase it. Go and purchase it and turn it into a black jail so we can look after our men and our women in there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, so um, they're not dying more diverse. anymore. They're under our farm and we're not taking them out because they belong to us. That's right. Uh, and yeah. we're keeping culture while we're in there. They can do their paintings. They can keep their language. They can, you know, 
everything they want would be in that correctional centre for them because when, when they go into the right white systems, there's nothing available for them. And, and a lot of these men and women love their paintings. They love their cultural food. There should be also cultural food available for them because a lot of them that are, that are getting locked up are used to that cultural food but get sick because they've been fed the wrong food. They've been fed white man's food and they're not used to it. Yeah, yeah. not only that, it's, it's about the whole holistic health. A lot of those people that come in there are sick, problems with alcohol, problems with drugs, stress in life. It goes on. Well, 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 that's why I said get a jail, let's get some funding, let's get a jail for them. So at the same time as doing that, we can help them get off the drugs, get their lives back on track, help them with their families, you know? Exactly. not only... Just help them all get back on track because they've busted their families by going to jail and things like that. So they're not getting along as well as they should be. I mean, why so, do, why do people actually go on drugs and alcohol in the first place? Because of transgenerational trauma. That's exactly right. Because they've been fucking traumatised at such a young age. I mean, look at Archie. Um, look at what happened to Archie Roach. Exactly. I mean, he he's a beautiful, great musician, but you know, he he had a really tough childhood in the stolen generation. I, I, I'd like to mention a man um, while I'm here on the radio here. Yeah. Um, I buried him last year. His name was Cecil Bowden. That was my uncle. Really? And he was, one of, he was one of the first stolen generations. He went through Bombardieri Children's Homes and the notorious Kinsella Boys Homes. So I think there needs to be things put in place um, regards to that too because there's an, a lot of older men that are still traumatised with the fact that what they went through. Money doesn't fucking cover that. Sorry, you can pay no. us out as much as you want, you bastards. Money don't cover the pain. Money don't cover the fact that they sit at the back of a car while their mother and father screaming and running after that car. Could you imagine that little boy sitting in the back of that car screaming because he couldn't get out to run to his mum and dad yeah. and then gets put in bombardary children's homes? and gets treated inhumane, and then gets sent to the notorious Kinsella Boys Homes in Kempsey. So you could imagine what life would have been like just for Cecil Bowden alone. Yeah, look, it's... And what about you, sister? Are you, are you from Stolen Generation? Um, no, but I've seen all my uncles and aunties go through Stolen Generation. Well, you are technically anyway. Well, you... I am technically anyway, yeah, sister. You yes, are. I am. Because... You would have suffered those consequences. You would have taken that on, um, you know, on a spiritual level and ancestral level. I really did because um, there was times when Uncle Seth was interviewed. I'm very sorry. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, it's horrible. I know. He was interviewed. <laughs> yeah. And the stories that came out of that old man's mouth was so. Oh, it's incredible. I know, Alita. I know. I feel his pain. Yeah, I know. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Alicia, you know, you know what? Um, I'm hoping that, you know, if this show has brought up stuff for you, have you got someone you can talk to when we finish here? Yeah, no, all good. She knows how to shrug it off within a second. But I, yes. I always get upset when I speak about Uncle Cecil because he was such a powerful man. Oh, he was a very such powerful. Such a powerful man. And he was a very, very powerful man. And, you know, I don't mean to say it this way, but he didn't like white men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. Because of what he'd went through in the homes. I used to line them all up at Kinchilla Boys' homes. Line them all up, right? There'd yeah. be about 150 boys lined up in a row at 
notorious kids love boys' homes. They'd be all lined up in one row. Yeah. Now, if one boy played up in that line, that boy would have to get out of that line and go to the first one, get flogged by the first one, second one, third one. He'd have to get flogged by that whole line with a whip that was in that line because the the white teacher said to do that. With what? With, with a, a, a whip? No, the boys would just get into him and bash him. Oh, so to bash him. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. The bashings. That's so they'd terrible. be all lined up in one line so this kid could walk past and get bashed by every single kid that was in that line to begin with. It's really awful. It's, um, there, there needs to be a lot of healing done between, between black and white. Yeah. Because Uncle there's, there's no done, trust. Uncle Cecil, Uncle Cecil done a painting. And I've got the painting. And in this beautiful painting is... They look like logs, Mother Earth and Father Earth, Aboriginal Mother Earth and Aboriginal Father Earth, and they're laying down the bottom of the painting. You can see their faces, they're beautiful. And then you see the notorious Kitchener Boys Shed and graves with the Aboriginal baby souls coming out of them graves that they buried there at that place. There was little souls that were killed there. Of course there were lots of massacres. There was a lot of bloodshed there at Kinsella Boys' Homes. There was a lot of bloodshed there at Notorious Bomb and Dairy Children's Homes too. So you're in Lismore. I might come down and pay you a visit and pick your brains, eh? We'll do yes, some, darling, some, some recording. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, I've, I've, I've got a lot to say, darling. Great. <laughs> I, I, my, one of my aunties, she's, a famous, she's one of the famous, well-known first activists here in Australia, Mama Shirl. Oh, yeah. But you know what? We're going to have to chat another time because we've just about, we've got about a couple of minutes left and our next show is going to come in. So, okay, darling. Alita, it was, um, it was fantastic meeting you. And, and I say that on behalf of Rob as well. Too, darling. Yeah. Awesome, babe. And I'm glad I could sort of put a light on some of the things that are happening in our communities when it comes to jails, when it comes to our transgender girls and being murdered and put in the wrong systems. Yeah, definitely. We need to bring a light to the darkness. It was nice we meeting do. you. Nice meeting you too, babe. Have an awesome day. You too, and we'll you talk too. again very soon. We soon, babe. Awesome. Thanks, Catch Alita. Us. Bye, sis. Bye, sis. Bye, bye, bye. 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 And that was Alita, Aboriginal um, activist, transgender activist, Aboriginal, and speaking about lots and lots of issues. Thanks a lot to our guests for um, for speaking with us today. We better go because Beyond Zero is up next. We're going to be going on with our theme song now, Black Fella, White Fella from the Rumpy Band. Tune on, tune in for the Doing Time show every Monday from 4 to 5. Thanks. Bye from Marissa and Rob. And bye from Rob. Bye. Bye. Hello.